Good morning, evening, afternoon, etc. Hi, I'm Raymond Camden. Welcome to Views on View. Today, I am joined by Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hello from Portland. And our guest, Marco Biella. Pretty close. Faella. Well, I tried. I tried. <laughs> uh, thank you so, so much for agreeing to talk to us. And if I understand right, uh, you are here today to talk to us about your new book, which is about writing good software. Can mm -hmm. you can you tell us about the book? Can you tell me what good means? Because I feel like that's open to interpretation. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, are you stuck in your software development career trying to figure out how to move to the next stage? Let me help. I'm starting a program to help developers move up in their careers using proven techniques and by starting a podcast in order to advance. Right now, I'm only scheduling calls to see where you're at, where you want to go, and how we can get you there. There's no sales involved, and you can schedule that call at devchat.tv slash next level. Indeed, I agree. It's it's quite open to interpretation. And my point of view is, is that good software is software that strikes the right balance between, between different software qualities. And of course, the right balance depends a lot on the context. So mm -hmm. there's no easy recipe there. But I think what's important and what I'd like to convey with the book, especially to junior developers or perhaps people just coming out of science degree, maybe, maybe they're not computer science majors, maybe they they uh, came out of, of a boot camp or they're self-taught. What I'd like to convey to them is that there's a lot of freedom when uh, programming and when designing, especially a large system, but even a small system, there's, there's a lot of different ways to achieve the same objective. And you can try and measure these different and compare these different ways according to a number of criteria. And, and finally, at some point, you have to take your application context into account and, and find the right balance between, say, efficiency, readability, robustness, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting, you, you talk about striking the right balance. And in your book title, you specifically say good, which I mainly think of, you know, perfect is the enemy of the good. Right. So, yeah. Do you do you talk about that aspect of, you know, recognizing that, yeah, if I spent um, you know, one more month on this, I can make it one percent better. Like, do you talk about recognizing when it's time to stop iterating and, and ship it, essentially? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. From the start of the book, I have this picture where I uh, try to uh, represent the different forces that pull the software and the software developer in different directions. And of course, the, the biggest force in the industry is time, is timing, is, is your schedule. So you have to come out, come out with a product by a certain deadline. And so, so that's a force you have to uh, deal with. And beside that force, you have all of those quality forces. You have to, to make it more efficient, you have to make it readable, you have to make it robust, so you have to add tests, you have to have good amount of tests coming with your software, and all these forces are somehow incompatible. You cannot, you cannot be perfect in, in all directions. You have, you have to stay on time, and, and you have to do the best that you can on the, on the other directions. And 
And as I said before, depending on the context, you might want to spend more time on one of those uh, axes, on one of those criteria. You may want to spend more time on one of those criteria and, and less time on others. So depending whether you're developing a video game or safety critical embedded software, they're going to have very different requirements. And so, of course, you're going to, you should adapt, obviously, to, to your context. So I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned just now was timelines and, you know, having to have a product by a certain date, you know, based on expectations. And I think that has a lot to do with expectations. And as a couple examples, uh, I can think of different software companies I've been at and some now where they say, you know, for the sake of customers, we're going to have a fixed release schedule. You know, I think was it Ubuntu every six months, they've got a new release. You know, that's what they've their customers have become accustomed to because they've set that expectation. Whereas there are other projects, and I can think of older versions of Drupal, Drupal 7 versus Drupal 8, or if you even look at Vue, you know, the Vue 3.0 release, they were not, they said, we'll get them out when they're done, you know, as compared to having, okay, we're going to set an arbitrary date here and have it done by a certain date. So I think that has to do a lot with, how you set expectations for the users of your software. I know it can be beneficial if, if your software is something that your customers depend on and need to plan around, then yes, it can be very useful to have that date because it makes it much easier for them and they're not, okay, waiting. Is this it? Is it released yet? Is it released yet? Whereas sometimes, you know, if it is a major release and you want to make sure that everything's done and right, before it goes out, then maybe it's better not to have a set have a set deadline. You know, obviously, like you said, there's context that goes into everything into whether you have the perfect being the enemy of the good, resources that are available, maybe resource availabilities changed, and so on. So, you know, you can I've seen it done both ways. And I guess what I'm saying is you don't necessarily always have to have a date. You know, sometimes it's okay just to to say we'll get it done when it's done and we're doing the best we can, which is a reality. I mean, software estimating software completion and how long it takes to finish things is probably every developer hates it. <laughs> you know, it, it's one of the hardest things to do and it's the hardest thing to stick to. You see it in big projects and small projects. So anyway, enough with my rant. I just wanted to point out that, you know, having dates isn't always necessary and isn't always something that's done. Sure. Yeah. From, from a software quality perspective, I think not having a date is probably going to work better towards maintaining a high standard of software quality. But at the same time, I've seen it where not having a date causes problems because you're not being held to a standard. So you're like dragging it. I don't have a date. I can take a little more time. You know, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it varies on context, who the developers are, you know, are they going to get stuff done? Do you, do you have somebody that really needs a date to have something to shoot for? And if not, they, you know, they tend to slack off. It's all about your particular use case, your, organization and your developers. Yeah, and your business model, I guess. Mm -hmm. Was there a, a particular project or job that really started you thinking about writing this book? Like, what was the impetus for you um, creating this? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the The book comes right out, right out of my teaching experience. So I'm a professor in a major uh, public university in Italy. And I've been teaching this uh, advanced programming class for the last 15 years. 
And I was lucky enough to be given a, a lot of freedom. Once again, this <laughs> I was freedom to uh, design my own class, my own mm. yeah, syllabus for this for this programming class. So, what I try to do in this class is mix and match topics coming from different sub areas of computer science, like some algorithms, some software engineering, some programming language, and some just programming techniques in the class. And and it, I think it works pretty well. I've had good feedback along the years. And that this idea of mixing and matching different topics is what I brought to the book, where, uh, you know, I have a chapter, different chapters on different software qualities. And I try to emphasize to, to show the trade-offs and differences between optimizing for efficiency, optimizing for readability. And, and I do this on a simple, a very small example, a single class, so that it's easy to understand, it's easy to follow and compare when you're optimizing for different criteria. And I like the fact that you can show that even on such a simple program, you can have uh, ma many different ways to do the same thing. I think I have close to 20 different versions in the book. And I think it's, it's a fun way to, uh, to think and to compare and contrast uh, software qualities. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that you're a Java person. Is there, mm -hmm. you know, is there something inherent in Java that helps you or hinders you in terms of you know writing good software, or have you seen other platform and not to necessarily bad mouth a platform per se, but I know some languages are known for having foot guns, like making it very easy to write bad code or poorly mm -hmm. performing code. How much would you say the the choice of language helps or hinders you in terms of writing good software? So I think it's very important to pick the right tool for uh, for your job. So in this case, it's very important to to pick the right language for your application. And of course, that there's overlaps. There's mm. there's many applications where you can pick many different languages. There's more niche applications where you really should pick one or two specific languages that are best suited for that. But I think that's the most important decision you have to make. After that, if you pick the right tool, then that tool, that programming language is going to, you should be able to achieve your goals, your quality objectives. What I mean is that there's no language that, that's just wrong, that, that hinders you. I think each language, I'm, of course, I'm thinking of the major well-known and, and yeah, languages each one of of those will be ideal for for some applications and will allow you to write what i what, what we're calling good software and speaking of java i mean of course probably all of our uh, listeners know that it's considered it's well suited to certain types of large systems mostly it's it's known for being quite robust in, in in the sense that it's i would say it's expressive enough but not too too much too expressive like c plus plus would be the, the comparison here 
So it it protects the developer from a number of like memory, mostly memory related and pointer related problems that that, that affect lower level languages like like C plus plus. That's very good virtual machine, quite efficient running time. So it has its nice space of application, I would say. How so? I know you touched a bit on like time and and that aspect, and that's definitely external to lines of code how much of your book is like 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 how much would be writing better code versus the more human related estimations working in a team you know creating good software amongst the team and and all that like is there a feel for how much is like writing a better algorithm versus getting along with a jerk coworker? To help get the project done and, and make it better, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. No. I I, I get it. I mean, uh, yeah. You're mentioning two. I mean, yeah. They're both very important aspects. Mm. And but uh, me personally, for my experience, I'm focusing. I'm strictly focusing on the technical aspects mm. of it. There's there's other good resources covering the. The other aspect, the the human, the interaction, the team, the methodology mm-hmm. aspects. I'm not I'm not dealing with that in my book because I don't have the experience on that on, on those topics. So uh, I'm focusing on the technical aspects. I'm focusing on, on coding itself. So you can uh, think uh, you can think of it as the point of view of a single developer wanting to improve their craft. That's yeah. that's the audience. That's that what the book is about. It's it's mostly about my intention is is to be mostly about increasing awareness of the alternatives, increasing the awareness for the for the programmer of the technical alternatives that they have when coding, the different ways to look at a problem, different ways to different reasons to pick. For example, some data representation compared to another data representation to emphasize the trade-offs between, I don't know, using a more compact representation for your data and having more efficient manipulation, more efficient algorithms on that data, that kind of thing. And I'm... uh, so there's there's algorithms there's uh, there's a chapter on readability which i think is is very important it's a very important non functional quality that uh, sometimes is overlooked especially by junior juniors or by my students when <laughs> in my class mm-hmm. so i think think there needs to to be uh, more emphasis on on readability which of course is is a proxy for future maintainability of, of your code. That makes a lot of sense. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. And certainly, like everything you said, sounds like this book would definitely be useful to people who don't know a lick of Java, because they, they'd still be able to see what you're talking about and at least mentally translate it to their language platform, et cetera, of choice. Yeah, 
Yes. And so in the book, I have uh, examples in, uh, or at least I have pointers to C sharp as well. And I think 95% of the content is uh, applicable to most object-oriented languages in general. And a substantial part of the content can also be applied more generally than than object-oriented languages. When when I talk about trade-offs between different software qualities, those software qualities in in general apply to any software, right? Right? Like time efficiency, memory efficiency, readability, Mm -hmm. those are qualities that apply to any software. But of course, I have to have concrete examples and then then I picked Java and and object orientation as my reference. Mm, That makes sense. So your book, it's at Manning, and I don't think Mm -hmm. we've actually said the full title. Can you do that? Yeah, it's called Seriously Good Software. And And since since you're asking about the title, let me add that uh, my uh, pet title was uh, Exercises in Style, Exercises in Programming Style. But that was deemed uh, not <laughs> not clear enough. They went with, with this much more grand title, which is seriously good software. Aim high, right? Is <laughs> uh, so. I know that the book is from Manning. Is it released or is it Meep released? It's released. It, it was released, I think, six months ago, something like ah, that. Okay. For those of you who don't know, uh, Manning does a thing where when the book is, is, is being written, they'll actually release it early and people can buy it early and leave comments and stuff. And it, uh, it's like an iterative book process. I'm going through that now. So, uh, but yours is released. Um, yeah. did, you, did you find that interesting? The reason I ask is that uh, last week we talked to Eric Hanchett and he wrote a book for Manning on View. And so we were discussing the process and the early access program. And the feedback. So, out of curiosity, do you find that early access program feedback valuable uh, and useful in your book? I'm sure you get a lot of stuff that you can filter out, but do you do you find that process useful in making your book better? I have to say, I think it works pretty well for for Manning and for the book because I've seen a lot of people buy it when it's already when it's in the MIP stage. And so that's great because people start uh, reading it and providing feedback. On the other hand, I got some feedback from the from from the MIP process, and that's great because you, you can still update your book while uh, while it's in early access. But I have to say, I've got a lot more feedback from uh, an, a separate review process that that Manning internally has that that will send uh, the drafts to. In my case, I think they sent it to ten external reviewers and uh, they would write very detailed uh, feedback forms so i already had a lot of detailed feedback even before the MIP process started yeah eric mentioned the same thing i think it was 10 different technical reviewers uh, mm-hmm. that were fairly knowledgeable on the topic yeah it's it works yeah that process works really well it's good and overwhelming right yeah um, yeah, plus you have a technical reviewer that specifically runs your code, checks whether whether the code snippets work, and more stages of review. And that's definitely helpful because I've never written code for a blog post that I didn't personally run myself. I've never done that, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. 
very nice to have somebody do that for you because I guarantee you every time where I think, oh, I know this code, it's very simple. It's one command line. I don't need to run it to verify. I know what it does. Yeah, I'm wrong. So <laughs> that's, it's nice to have. Yeah. That's, I think, all I had. Steve, did you have any uh, more questions? Nope. None that I could think of. I mean, this is a, it's a, boy, it's a broad topic to cover. Good software. There's been, you know, classic books written in this genre for years. And so more power to you for taking on a big, uh, a big subject like this. I'd be curious to see, you know, I was looking through the preview. I'd, have, I'd be curious to see how some of this carries over. You know, this podcast is, is obviously dedicated to view, which is a front end framework as compared to Java, which is a server side framework. So there are, different considerations, uh, you know, you're talking about memory, I guess you could translate into performance in terms of bundling and, and use of other resources. But yeah, kudos to you for taking on a, on a big topic. Thanks. I, I know, I even though I don't use Java, I'm absolutely interested in, in picking this up. It's, you know, I feel like I've, I've learned the syntax of many languages over the last 20 years, but getting better at it, getting good, that's always the hard part. And so this this book sounds perfect. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. So this is where, as he reads his notes, this is where we talk about picks. And if this is your first time listening to one of these podcasts, this is where our guests and the host, we all share one particular thing that we would like you all to take a look at, technical, non-technical, it could be anything at all. And I'm going to start with our guest, Marco. What what would be your pick today? I have two picks, and unfortunately, they're both technical picks. I'm uh, I, I didn't know I could would think of anything. <laughs> n- next time, I'll, I'll prepare something more fun. But the, today, I'm just going to mention Clean Code, which is of course a classic book, which is quite related to mine, especially to my chapter on readability. I think. As I said earlier, I think readability should be given more emphasis, and that's the best book that I know about uh, about that topic. And second nerdy uh, pick is uh, the following, especially for uh, Java people out there. My pick is to uh, take a look at the source code of the Java API, especially for, I would would suggest the collection library. There's a lot of good ideas and good principles you can pick if you read good code made by other professionals. And uh, for Java people, I think the Java Collection Framework source code, which of course is open source, is uh, is a nice read that can improve your coding. Cool. And I'll be adding these links to our chat in a moment. Uh, Steve, what do you have? 
Yeah, first off, I want to say Clean Code was one of the books I was trying to get to come to my mind when we were talking about classic books in the genre. So thank you for bringing that up. So my pick today is going to be a blog post by a guy named Dylan Paulus. And the title of it is Start With No. And the context of the post is being, you know, working for a company where you have a product and you're getting input from users on things you'd like to add. This is I started a job recently or for a company that we have a web app that we provide to, to a certain clientele. And we have a system where we allow users to input through the site, hey, I'd like this feature or this feature or so on. And as we've been going through and looking at these items, there's a lot of them we have to say no to. And, and you get users who write back, hey, I'm disappointed, I really would have liked this. But the point of the blog post is that this guy had a boss who used to think that was a real meanie because he would say no to a lot of things. And after a while, he, he realized that was a good thing. He says, now that I lead a team, I notice myself using the same mindset. No isn't negative and it's not dismissive. No is a way of protecting the team, the project, and the users. Because, uh, and I'm sure this, this may or may not fit into Marco's book, but if you try to add more and more things and cover little edge cases here and there and all the things that everybody wants, pretty soon you've got a mess of a code instead of staying focused on, on the core of what your project does and, and doing things in a way that keeps it structured and organized and easy to maintain and update. So anyway, the name of the blog post to start with no, I said, as I said, and I'll put it in the show notes. And then Steve, if you could find that link for me and I could paste it into the, uh, the notes. I just put it in the chat, so. Thank you for reading my mind. And Marco, I think you have another one. Yeah, I have an, another pick that is uh, a little bit less technical. At least it's not computer programming related. It's a great podcast, which I, uh, which I love, which is called Mindscape by Sean Carroll. He's a well-known cosmologist. And it's a great podcast with uh, science speakers and sometimes uh, artists. And I think he has such a great selection of speakers that it makes for a really great show. That sounds pretty good. So so my pick, I've, I will totally do non-tech and juvenile at the same time because I'm 47 years old turning four. Hasbro has been putting out a good new line of G.I. Joe action figures, as you can see. Uh, and this is the Cobra Commander one. Very happy with it. And I will share the link to that. I have the Destro one as well. I'm mainly a Star Wars person, but I've been uh, starting a new collection of G.I. Joe toys because I lost all of them from when I was a kid 30 years or so ago. So that's my pick. So are they remaking those exactly like the originals you had, or are they slightly updated and quote-unquote modernized? Or how do yeah, they so they're modernized. They're a bit like, so if, if, if you are a Star Wars collector, there's a Black Series, which are a bit more like serious action figures and a little bit more expensive, like $19 or so. Um, so not not crazy. So this is like that. There's a couple of variations. They have also been doing more of the old toys as well uh, that are more for children that I, I still want anyway because they're just marketing a lot. They have a new movie coming out. Who knows now with, with COVID? But they have a movie done actually just probably for next summer, next fall. So, so are you going back to watching The Mandalorian after this podcast? Or? Friday morning, 3 a.m., I think is when it hits America or 2 a.m. or something early. I'm an early riser. I wake up at 5. And yes, I wake up Friday mornings. I watch it immediately. My wife's a huge fan, but I tell her I, 
hey, I'll watch it again with you, but I'm not waiting until you wake up to watch it. So now that I have lowered the emotional age of this entire podcast to about 12, uh, I apologize. And I thank you very much, Marco, for this great talk. Again, your book looks awesome. And thank you. a link to it will be in the uh, show notes. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.